This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. What? Next week. No. Wait. <laughs> I won't guess. I t- <laughs> okay. End of podcast. <laughs> Newman. What prized possession or picture did he just knock over? It was just my deodorant, oh. which I keep on my desk because... You never know when you're going to get stinky? Well, because I put... Because <laughs> I, put, I put my deodorant on at my desk because I'm at my desk a lot. Like, I'll get out of the shower and I'll go be like, oh, what's happening on Twitter? And then while I'm scrolling <laughs> with one hand, I'll put my deodorant on with the other hand. What? Are you not wearing a shirt? No, because I just got out of the shower. Just me and my undies. So, <laughs> so you're you're sitting in your underpants. I'm not sitting. I'm standing. You're standing in your underpants, wielding deodorant as you mm-hmm. scroll through your twitter mm-hmm. yeah that's basically right i work from home yes <laughs> oh did you ask whether i worked from home because the answer is yes definitely i work from home Oh man all these all these cat gifts are getting me all sweaty i gotta apply this non-stick real quick Feeling a little stinky i well, better just freshen her up oh these stinky hashtags welcome Hashtag to Over- stinky oh welcome to overdue this is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read my name is craig my name is andrew i was gonna talk about like snow or something and then you just it's not snowing yet no i'm not gonna let your snow creep ruin this podcast but again. it is distinctly possible that by the time you're hearing this i will be in iowa the land of snow which it's never been Land of snow and flat. It's a pretty flat place. Uh, But when it's snowy, it looks nice. Um, It looks kind of nice when it's not snowy, too, but there's not a lot of trees. Or anything. Uh, If you live in Iowa, tell us us what's there. Tell us what's in Iowa. The house I will be staying in is not far from the Clay County Fairgrounds, Andrew. Ooh, what happens there? Do they have any festivals centered around vegetables? Y- yes, vegetable festivals. Uh, races where people like carry chickens and run back and forth. And Ooh. kids showing off their livestock. And presidential candidates will go. I think there were some presidential candidates there this fall. Yeah. Uh, that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it won't be happening while I'm there because th- like there's snow. The, the, the caucus, the Iowa caucus, do you think that like the rest of america was like well i i don't know the iowa gets a lot of attention we should just give them this one we should give iowa this one reason to be really important can i confess for a something while. yes i don't understand really what that does the caucus the iowa caucus yeah if judging super from, tuesday i judging super from tuesday everything that i see uh-huh. In the in the MSM mainstream media or like the lamestream media, <laughs> if you know what I mean, 
Iowa decides who's going to be president every year. Yeah. Or every four years, I yeah. guess. Well, no, every year they decide. Every year, but every they, have a, they have a shadow caucus yeah. once every year where they just decide, okay, this guy's fine. Yeah. There are three other presidents all at the same time, all the time. They could the decide Iowa, in the off years. The Iowa Illuminati. Yeah. The... Never mind. Is this funny? <laughs> <laughs> it's ignorant, I suppose. Okay, that's funny in a way. <laughs> this is a podcast about ignorance and books. Yeah. And we combine those two things to great effect. So, Craig, what did you read this week? I read a few stories from Flannery O'Connor's collection, A Good Man is Hard to Find, and other stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of these stories were collected uh, in her posthumously published work work um collected stories i think or complete works <laughs> i don't know um complete stories good title good title yeah. uh she won the national book award for her collection um but this one was published like 25 years or 20 years earlier um while she was still alive okay so we should probably talk about who she is and then we're going to get into the three stories that i read which are the titular a good man is hard to find uh, good country people and a late encounter with the enemy mm-hmm. um, and so yeah but we should talk about who she is first have you ever heard of her Andrew yeah definitely um, I will tell you some things I know about her I know that she was <laughs> born in 1925 she died in 1964 died of lupus um, same as her father her father yeah. died when she was 15 and they both kind of died of the same thing and I think that when they diagnosed her they gave her a life expectancy of like five years and she she lived for like 14 yeah so. and she spent a lot of that time like raising cool peacocks birds. and stuff yeah, yeah. <laughs> i want an excuse to raise peacocks like how do you even get into that game i don't well you have to own like acres of land in the south and it has to be called andalusia farms and mm-hmm. You have to have a bunch of money from writing cool stories, I guess. That's that is really that's very specific. Uh, yeah, I don't know that. No you wonder can... <laughs> that there aren't more peacock farms out there. It's just Flannery O'Connor and zookeepers are the only people who are allowed to take care of peacocks. <laughs> um, I know that she wrote two novels and thirty-two short stories, and we'll be discussing a few of the short stories today. I think that's what we're going to be focusing on. Um, she was Southern, and that factors into a lot of her work. Uh, she writes in the Southern Gothic style, um, and she emphasized in her work, um, so regional settings, so you get a strong sense of place, and then grotesque characters. And there's actually a, a funny quote from her on that subject, because mm-hmm. the, the the thing where she writes about grotesque characters is like comes from the scholarship around her. But I'm, I'm always interested to see authors responding to the terms that others choose to choose to label them with yeah yeah like is margaret atwood doesn't love being called a sci-fi author is that right yeah she we may or not have talked about this on the show she i think we did it's just been a while yeah um what when we were at a the book ride event she said specifically when she was talking about handmaid's tale that everything she'd put in that book had happened at some point Mm -hmm. uh somewhere in the world and in history so when she's writing speculative fiction which i think is the term that she probably prefers yeah uh she's not inventing technology and the equivalent of magic just in space 
Like she is, <laughs> she is trying to just imagine our world several years hence and how bad it's going to get, I guess. <laughs> right. So yeah, Flannery O'Connor, whose first name is Mary, by the way. Yes, Mary Flannery O'Connor. Um, she says of, of that grotesque label, anything that comes out of the South is going to be called grotesque by the Northern reader, unless it is grotesque, in which case it is going to be called realistic. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And she's writing in the, in the around World War Two era, right? She grew up. Yeah. The, the 40s the and stuff. Um, and so there's the Southern Gothic style is like this longer reaction to like Mark Twain, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of has this, yeah, this grotesque thing where, you know, some nasty stuff might happen. And it usually has to do with people who present one thing and then uh, are actually another behind that. Uh, and then it also like a, like you said earlier, kind of a decayed sense of setting um, is generally apparent. People are yeah. never in the best of circumstances in Southern Gothic. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the last thing I, I really know about her is that she ran with some other uh, writers and editors of note. Sure. So uh, while she was in um, writing school at the University of Iowa, she met um, Robert Penn Warren, John Crow Ransom, who we know from uh, from Kenyon and the Kenyon Review, um, Robbie McCauley, Austin Warren, and uh, Andrew Lytle. I, th- I think that's how you pronounce his name. Sure. And then uh, later after that, in the late 40s, she uh, stayed with Robert Fitzgerald, uh, who's a translator of classics. So actually, I think I've read some uh, some translations of his. I think he translated the Iliad and the Odyssey. Yeah. If you among went other to, things. Yeah. If you went to high school in the early aughts or the 90s, you probably read the Fitzgerald Homer. Like right. if you read the Homer at all. It was probably Fitzgerald's. Mm-hmm. I yeah. don't so know she's, she's, if he did any Simpsons <laughs> translations, though. I well, the Simpsons has been on forever, so they may have there may have been some overlap <laughs> there. Fitzgerald's Homer is is my favorite. Yeah, of the many Homers that there are. Do sing to me, O Muse. Do. Oh my God. <laughs> I hate you so much. Uh, in the late 40s, she stayed with him and his wife, Sally. Yeah. And they just, like, chilled, I guess. Yeah, sure. Uh, I guess you could... We talked a little bit about and- Andalusia, which is her ancestral farm where she raised all those peacocks. Uh, she moved... Is that still around, or do you know? Yeah, it's still there. It's kind of maintained as the as the home of Flannery O'Connor, Andalusia Farm. Um, so you can go down there and, and check it out in Georgia. She moved back there after she had kind of, you know, gone up to Connecticut and and, uh, been around and then got the lupus diagnosis. So she moved back south. Other interesting things. um, We'll talk a bit more in the stories about her faith and her Catholic faith, which she was pretty ardent and uh, overt about in some specific ways, Mm -hmm. Uh, specifically with regard to how characters do or do not get theirs in the stories that she's writing uh but she was also apparently famous when she was six andrew because they uh they came to her house the newspapers did and covered the fact that she had trained a chicken to walk backwards okay so she was in the papers and uh 
and they really did not have to do a whole lot to get in the papers back then. I guess <laughs> it's nineteen. That's what comes from having yeah. more local papers. It's like this is what we're missing out on. Yeah, this would have just been on BuzzFeed for a second, and then would have gone away today. Right. I like. Or like twenty-seven gifts about <laughs> why this chicken walking backwards will restore your faith in humanity. <laughs> I like that her quote was, uh, when I was six, I had a chicken that walked backwards and was in the Pathé News. I was in it, too, with the chicken. I was just there to assist the chicken, but it was the high point in my life. Everything, everything since has been an anti-climax. <laughs> <laughs> She's a funny lady. She's got a good uh, good sense of humor, I think. Thirteen chicken gifts that only 30s kids will understand. Ugh. I wish we had local papers so I could get in them all the time for stuff that I did. Like when I, when I went to a new bar or cafe or something, like they want to interview me about it. Apparently, man on the and street. I just, yeah, is that a thing? That wait, what are you saying? I'm saying I wish there were more local papers so there would be more like hyper specific local interest stories that I could become a part of. Local like, tech I writer would, finds new watering hole. Yeah, right. Like I would. It doesn't like chicken walk backwards like what that's that sounds not that important so i obviously the threshold would be lower how different is this when they from when they interviewed that kid who was painted like a skeleton and like turtles like i don't know what you're talking about so that kid obviously was not as famous as he wanted to be all those kids just end up on ellen nowadays that's just how it works <laughs> or you read a buzzfeed article about what they look like now they've all grown up like the nevermind baby oh I haven't seen those. Yeah, they've done a bunch. They did, a, I think, for that album's 20th anniversary, they did a bunch of Where Is He Now interviews with the Nevermind Baby. And they're like, oh, what is it like to be a baby and have your wiener out on this album that everyone has? <laughs> and he's like, oh, it's fine, I guess. <laughs> I oh, my him. God. Let's, let's get on with the show, I suppose. Okay, sure. So the first story that I want to talk about, and it's probably the most important one to talk about, um, so then we can always pull the ripcord if uh, the other ones don't uh, hold our attention, is that the story, A Good Man is Hard to Find. It's uh, It centers on a family living in Georgia, uh, like the O'Connors, right? The South. Uh-huh. And I like how O'Connor starts her stories. When you're, when you're a really refined short story writer, I think you really have to, you know, kind of nail your opening lines and stick your landings really well and mm-hmm. she doesn't disappoint the fir- one of the first sentences if not the first is the grandmother didn't want to go to florida sure so now you know the central conflict of the story is that this grandma is gonna get taken to florida <laughs> now is it is it like a vacation to florida or is it the like the east coasters florida thing where they would be going to florida to retire in in warmer climates now i she is with uh her son bailey uh bailey's wife who is never named but is described by the grandmother as a young woman in slacks whose face was as broad and innocent as a cabbage um Uh, so I'm you not can, sure I can picture that, but I just like the way that it sounds. You can tell that Grandma don't like the wife. Tell she you that much. Broad as a cabbage. Broad, her face was as broad as a cabbage. Uh, and Bailey's three kids, John Wesley and June Starr, those are his son and daughter, and their mm-hmm. baby, whose gender I forget. It's irrelevant. 
they're going to go on a vacation to Florida, though it's not clear like what they're going to do when they get there. Grandma does not want to go to Florida because she's read in the paper that there's a man, a fella, that calls himself the Misfit. And he, Andrew, is a loose from the federal pen and headed towards Florida. And you, re- you read here what it says he did to these people. You wouldn't take your children in that direction, Andrew. See, that's another, that's another, like, just the one, the one weird murderer guy. (laughs) Yeah, in all of Florida. In the whole, like, he's not even in Florida, he just might be going to Florida, and that's enough of a reason to cancel your vacation? Like, that's, man, I wish there was just one creepo who I had to be worried about at a time, you know? (laughs) In the entire state of Florida, come on. Yeah, or just, like, or the entire South, like, there would just be a couple of... Weird beards, so you need to keep track of it at any given time. Yeah. Well, she would like to go to Tennessee, which is in the other direction, and uh, her son's not going to listen to her. So no, Tennessee is garbage. Yeah. Well, Actually, I, I know nothing about Tennessee. Well, I'll tell you about this in just a second. So they all pile into the car, and it it's like a they, it's not as spacious as uh, Little Miss Sunshine. It seems like it's a smaller. It's not like a van or anything like that so grandma's Mm -hmm. like in the middle of the car she's got kids on either side the wife's up front holding the baby and bailey's driving the car and of course andrew what do you think grandma sneaks her cat into the car why did she do that because she's a crafty creepy grandma (laughs) okay how does she keep it hidden she puts how long she puts it in a valise and covers it with a blanket (laughs) i feel like that was the cat was stay a secret for all of 20 seconds yeah this cat's good though the cat hangs out uh the cat's name hold on let me just double check i believe it is so yeah the cat's name is pity sing and she didn't intend for it to be left alone in the house for three days uh because he might brush its brush against one of the gas burners and accidentally asphyxiate itself jeez if a cat did that it deserves to go i'm sorry yeah, well, like, that's the whole reason you get cats is you just fill the food bowl up and then you go, like, a couple, two, three days. Like, that's yeah. no big deal. Pity Singh can't take care of himself. You you got to get rid of that cat. Mm-hmm. So they're in the car. And uh, to answer your question about Tennessee, uh, eight-year-old John Wesley says, Tennessee is just a hillbilly dumping ground and Georgia is a lousy state, too. So, uh, yeah, they're not going to Tennessee. Harsh words for Tennessee. Yes, yes. I like the Florida is... <laughs> the holy land, I suppose. Florida is the hot destination that you want to go to. In yep, got to go check out the, all those murderers in Florida. It's not a place where a bunch of like weird ants live. Yeah, it's... I don't know. I don't want to go to warm climates because I'm just afraid of all the weird bugs that there will be. <laughs> is that a... No, is that's that totally a valid. That's totally valid. Every, like, everything... I don't like the weird bugs that are around here. Yeah, I hate. Weird I don't bugs. like every time I see a house centipede, I just want to jump out a window. <laughs> it's not a way to deal with that problem. It's one way. <laughs> it is an option. Listen, you have, you have two options. You either kill that thing where it stands, or you lose track of it and you have to kill yourself. Yeah. The- <laughs> The idea lest of it, not... Lest it come upon you unawares later. That feeling of not knowing where a bug is. Oh, yeah, like seeing a bug and then losing track of it. Uh, and then you know, like, you know the bug was in there and you didn't know about it before you noticed it. Yeah. But now that you know that it's there, that bug is just waiting. It's just uh, waiting wow. for its chance well, to get in your mouth. And I've all read bugs enough... bugs are trying to get in your mouth all the time. <laughs> I've read enough Schrodinger to know that if I can't see a bug, it's in all my food. That's... 
That's just where it is. (laughs) (laughs) So, so we've got to get to Florida, Andrew. I'm sorry. Yes, we do. No, it's okay. And along the way, the family sees, and this is uh, apparently part of Flannery's style. For some of her stories, she doesn't really uh, tackle race in the South head on. Um, There are a couple that do. I was reading that it shows up in the background a, a lot, but it's... Yeah, Not so often like the point of any given story. Yeah, there's one in this collection called The Displaced Person that I did not read where they where a family hires um a pole who is just like a Polish person who's displaced from World War II uh and then ends up getting murdered after uh he was going to bring his cousin over to marry an African American person. So mm-hmm. it's it's like it's in a couple of the stories but it's much more off to the side like you were saying. And in this one it's like there's a really inappropriate story that grandma tells and then there's this weird little interlude where they see uh a black kid on the side of the road and in the middle of a speech about being good people like grandma just kind of ogles at them and then they just drive away like like oh look it's hey they're not wearing britches and it's like what are we all right let's just get to florida this is not okay (laughs) so they stop for food at a place called the tower which is run by red sammy butts that's that's the man's name andrew red sammy butts and what pet do you think red sammy butts has outside his restaurant dance hall nope a monkey chained, chained to a china berry tree mr butts i can't believe you can't believe what you've done she's so good o'connor is all these details are so good so the kids are an absolute like they're just absolute jerks to everybody who works at the at the uh food place what the restaurant yeah no no you got it right first time food place great thank you that's what they're typically called all right uh and then red sammy's kind of bumming because two guys came in earlier uh, a couple of days ago and like said oh we'll we'll charge we'll charge the gas don't worry and then they haven't paid for it. they just disappeared and it leads to this kind of like oh you used to be able to trust people uh, and i don't and then his wife's like it isn't a soul in this green world of gods that you can trust and i don't count nobody out of that not nobody uh, and sammy says i remember the day you could go off and leave your screen door unlocked unlatched that's very specific and I don't remember a time that that was ever possible, but yeah, people have been remembering the good old days <laughs> since the good old days. Yeah, right. Well, and what's interesting is this is a this is a region, right? That two to three generations prior had some significant good old days issues in the Civil sure. War. Yeah, uh, and now we've just made it through the Depression and World War II, so there are some other good old days issues happening. I feel like it's one of like what you were saying. People have been complaining about the good old days for a long time. I'm beginning to think as I approach thirty, and maybe you could inform me that sometimes they have a point. I was just thinking. <laughs> I was literally just thinking two hours ago. Man, it must have been really easy to be like my age, but in the nineties. Yeah, I think you're right. Before the entire economy was just a big cesspit, like that must have been really good. Yeah, it's. Uh, but then I think back to like the New Deal, and I was like, "Oh, that's actually genuinely transformative." Like maybe objectively, that was great. But you bet people were upset about it. But, people but who were then, generally like, right-minded. Being racist was like cooler, and yeah, there's so like a lot of other bad yeah, stuff. Yeah. So I've got to like the the fact that stuff is not 
quite as effortlessly easy for me, a white man. Like some of that might, some of that is probably good progress. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's probably, it's not a, you take the good with the bad situation. Yeah, no, I mean, I, as, as a 30 year old, I'm just, I'm slowly coming to terms with this like slow descent from relevance that I'm going to be experiencing over the next decade or so of my life. I'm going to, is there a thing on Amazon where I can set up where in like five to 10 years, I just get a shipment of t-shirts that say kids today on them. Like, cause that's what I'll be ready to wear. I I can, I can set that up for you. I can do that for your 35th birthday or something. Great. That'd be great. There just, it just says teens on it. (laughs) No, I can't wear a shirt that just says teens. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> does it work <laughs> depends so, on what you wanted to do that's true uh so <laughs> grandma has fallen asleep after they got back in the car they're still going to florida and she wakes up and she realizes that they're near a plantation that she wants to visit i think it's uh, some relatives of hers she tells a little white lie andrew i mean she's been lying this whole time she has this cat and yeah that's true well, she didn't want to she, go to the Florida in the first place. She tells this lie that is perhaps not as uh, as white. It's not a fib. It's an outright lie. She says that in the house where they're going, there might be a secret panel that has silver behind it, like all the family silver. And the kids get all excited. Cool. They're like, oh, we got to go see the house with the secret silver in it. And she even says she she is crafty as she comes up with the lie, even though she kind of feels bad about it. Not bad enough not to lie. Yes. So then... Bailey finally acquiesces and is like, okay, fine, I'll go back, we'll drive down this dirt road that you're putting us on, and we'll go find this house with the silver in it, and my kids will finally shut up, all right? Mm-hmm. Then she has a realization, and I bet you can tell what the realization is going to be, but the book doesn't tell you that right away. Instead, she gets so embarrassed and upset by her realization that she releases Pity Sing the cat into the car which then freaks everyone out. The cat latches itself onto the onto the husband's neck, mm-hmm. and he drives off the road into a ditch. The car flips twice, tossing his wife and baby from the car. They all survive, of course, and now the kids are just screaming, we had an accident, like in all caps, over and <laughs> over. And she realized that the plantation she was looking for was in Tennessee, not in Georgia. Okay. Ew. Now okay. this is not the end of the story because Wait, why did she actually want to go to that plantation? Like there's not really silver in it, right? No, she just wanted to visit it because it reminded her of the past and of people I'm she like, knew. Yeah, I'm not super sold on any of grandma's motivations in this book yet. Like, no, she, she seems... wants to be seen as a good person, right? Well, so so does everybody. So that's um cool. yes. She's she's a little more tryhard in that regard. Um and it doesn't seem to be paying. It's my favorite Bruce Willis movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good Christmas movie, too. Um, Where he doesn't actually thwart any of the criminals, but damn it, he gives it a, he gives it a good try. <laughs> and so, another car shows up on the road, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Who do you think's driving the car? Uh, the cat that she threw nope. away. All right. Um, uh, the butts guy. Nope. Grandpa. Nope. There's no grandpa. I don't know. The misfit from oh no. Florida. Oh no, the one criminal who there is. It, yeah, the one criminal in all the world. So, two guys get out and hit one is Bobby Lee and one is Hiram 
and they're both described pretty unflatteringly. Mm-hmm. They get out. Are they grotesque, would you say? Almost, yeah. Um, one is one is described as a fat boy in black trousers and a red sweatshirt. The other one is khaki pants and a blue striped coat and a gray hat. Just kind of like stock. These guys are not important. Stock villain. Yeah. Gangster. Red then shirts, yeah. an older man wearing blue jeans, a black hat, no shirt, and holding a gun gets out. And one of the first things he says is, you need to shut those kids up because kids make me nervous. <laughs> so he's just like you. <sighs> kids don't make me nervous. I like it kids. Sounds like they do. These kids, little John Wesley and June Starr, make me nervous. This is where the story takes a real hard turn, Andrew. Okay. If you haven't seen this turn coming, the grandmother starts pleading with the misfit that she knows he's a good man and he doesn't look a bit like he has common blood. That he must come from nice people. And the misfit agrees and then has uh, his two men take the dad and the son out into the woods off the side of the road. And then the grandma hears two gunshots. And then uh, she continues to plead with the misfit. And uh, they take the mom and and the daughter out. And you hear some more gunshots. And then there's like a protracted conversation between the grandma and the misfit about like the nature of of his prison sentence because he escaped from prison and he claims to not know what he did, even though you pr- he probably killed his parents. Yeah, I mean, probably he killed people since that seems to be his jam right now. Yes, but then he goes on like a bit of a rant about uh, Jesus and there's they're both, you know, religious and she's like, well, Jesus, if you would just pray to Jesus, he would help you. And he goes, that's right. And she says, well, why don't you pray? He goes, I don't want help. I'm doing fine by myself. <laughs> uh, and he For goes certain values of fine I exactly guess, yeah. and he goes on to say that he um he, jesus was the only one that raised the dead and he shouldn't have done it because he threw everything off balance uh and if he did what he said he did then you should throw away everything and follow him but if he didn't then there's nothing for you but to enjoy the few minutes you got left the best way you can by killing somebody or burning down his house or doing some other meanness to him no pleasure, but meanness. And so he's like having this moment where if only he had been there when Jesus uh, received God's mercy and was not actually punished and could witness the resurrection, maybe he would not be an evil person, but he does not have that belief. And cool. the grandma uh, says, oh man, she sees the weakness in him and like tries to save him and says that he's one of her children and uh, reaches out to like touch him on the shoulder to comfort him, then that sets him off and he shoots her. And uh, that's that's pretty much how it ends. He says Jeez. that he says that if she had had violence inflicted on her every day of her life, she would have turned out to be a good person. Because it was Lord. only it was only the threat of violence that made her like actually reach out and see like have a moment of divine grace, basically. What? Yeah. Uh huh. Like, okay, so what is the what does the name of the book end up meaning? Is it just like a guy who's not going to kill you along the side of the road is hard to find? Like, what is the? So the title comes from uh, Red Sammy Butts, who mm-hmm. talks about a good man being hard to find, and I think the implication is that our notion of what good is and our pretense of what good is uh, does not stand up to actual 
measures of good and evil. Mm-hmm. That we are not the people that we pretend to be, uh, and that we do not very often uh, see the world for what it is. Yeah. Which I want to get to uh, in the next story, um, if you don't have any more questions about this one. I don't think, except just like, what just happened <laughs> is my main question. Now, I will say, I was letting us be a little jokey in the telling. The The story is kind of funny and sardonic, but it's not like a laugh riot. Like it's not presented as cartoon town. Uh, you see the 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 misfit at the top is laid in. They mention the misfit once when they go to the Red Sammy Butts. Um, there's a there's tension between Bailey and his mom, the grandmother, the whole time. Where like Bailey really doesn't seem to be wanting to go on this vacation. I don't know why he's mm-hmm. doing it in the first place. Uh, he seems to kind of hate the whole enterprise. And the kids are just awful people. Like, they're just mean. And no, the kids seem like they suck. But, I mean, it just seems like they suck in the way that kids often suck. Yeah, but, like, no without one... Without really meaning to, like, without really being intentionally sucky, but sucking anyway. <sighs> yeah, these... All of these characters... I mean, the, the wife, the cabbage wife, does not do much. <laughs> but uh, none of them are presented as particularly good people. Like, they're all... Everyone's kind of a mess. And I think that's also relevant to the title of the story sure um and yet they are purporting to be like good christian people so maybe man is less like a male person and more just like a human yes i think that's man in the mankind sense yes yes so then we come to good country people and i think this is now okay. Are these going to be good country people? Are they all going to kill each other? Like what? What? In what way is this story going to go wrong? Craig, please um, tell me up front <laughs> so that it's not like a grandma road trip that ends with everybody getting shot in the face. Okay. So what I will say is that uh, no one dies in this story. Okay. Can we start there? We can start there. I mean, that like there are worse things than dying. I think. Mm-hmm. Now, what I will say is, a good man is hard to find is the first story in this book. So, if you read that, you already have a sense for how stuff might go. So, like the experience that you're having on this episode is is certainly similar to the experience I had. Okay, so this. yeah, my my experience right now is like, what what now? <laughs> What's happening next? What else do you got for me, Flannery? Let's go. Yeah. So, I again, I really like how Flannery starts her stories because the beginning of this story is just about this woman, Miss Freeman's face, and how she's her, got she two looks. a cabbage face? No, she's not, it's not even about what it exactly looks like. It's about the faces she makes. So she's got a neutral face that she has when she's like by herself, and then she's got a forward expression for when you're like telling a story and she's focusing on you, mm-hmm. and then she's got a reverse look where uh, this is how it's described. Her face came to a complete stop. There was an almost imperceptible movement of her black eyes during which they seemed to be receding, and then the observer would see that Mrs. Freeman, though she might stand there as real as several grain sacks thrown on top of each other, was no longer there in spirit. Uh, and this is then answered by the ma- one of the main characters of the story, Mrs. Hopewell, saying that uh, she talks to Mrs. Freeman all the time, and she's kind of learned that Mrs. Freeman doesn't like to be told she's wrong. Um 
and the two of them exchange kind of platitudes a lot of like, oh, well, I said what I said, and that's what I said, or I always said that that was what the world was, and they kind of just go back and forth a lot. That's a lot of their dialogue. Okay. Which is kind of presented as this, like, well, I tossed my opinion out, and I'm not going to hear otherwise. Uh, Good for you, I guess. So the setup is that Hopewell, Mrs. Hopewell, hired Mrs. Freeman's husband to do, like, itinerant migrant worker work on their farm, on their property. Okay. And uh, Mrs. Freeman has two daughters named Glenice and Caramay. Those are beautiful, uh, beautiful names. Which uh, Mrs. Hopewell's daughter, Joy, refers to as glycerin and caramel. <laughs> caramel is how I would refer to the second one. Glycerin is pretty good. Glycerin is good, too. Uh, I might have just called the first one Denise. Yeah, that would be, yeah, Denise and caramel. Yeah. It sounds like a... Those pronounced caramel. That doesn't sound as good to me. Yeah, but that's how it is pronounced. I once got knocked out of a spelling contest because the teacher said caramel instead of caramel. Oh, man, this this goes back to the tangy story that I told a couple <laughs> weeks ago. It's all, wow. Like, how many kids, how would we change the course of spelling bee history if we made sure that every moderator was pronouncing everything correctly all the time? Could we just have it be like a speech-to-text robot? Like, would that... Uh, that might improve some things and make other things much worse. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, so when I mentioned Joy, uh, Joy is Mrs. Hopewell's daughter, and she is described as like a large lumbering blonde girl who is 32 and educated and has an artificial leg. Okay. She also seems to be a bit of a sourpuss and does not like her mother, nor Mrs. Freeman, she looks down on them. She went to school and got a philosophy degree, uh, but has a heart condition that, in addition to having an artificial leg, seems to have limited her uh, prospects, as it were. Okay. So I don't think that she would be living at home if she could, uh, but she's stuck there. There's like a story that Mrs. Hopewell tells about how she kept the Freemans on because they were good country people. They are not trash. Uh, so that sets that up for you. Joy's leg had been shot off when she was 10, and she's really sensitive about talking about it. Mrs. Freeman seems to take kind of a perverse interest in it, uh, and once the story gets out there first, then Joy's like, don't ever talk to me again. Fun note about Joy, she changed her name to Holga. <laughs> was that like... She wanted to change it to Helga, but the E on her typewriter was broken. No, she wanted to na- she wanted it to sound ugly. Like for her, it's an act well, of creation. Mission, mission accomplished. Yeah, she took Helga and like added the word Hulk to it on purpose. And even Mrs. Hopewell says that like the name reminds her of like a battleship, like literally. Yeah, the Holga. Yeah, un- yeah, I would definitely hear about the Holga on like the History Channel. Um. It's the HMS. And she, they don't like each other. Mrs. Hopewell calls her Joy, even though she legally changed her name to Holga. And uh, a couple of times, like, Holga just yells philosophy at her mom, like, about whether or not they are, like, not, not that they're not real, but kind of, like, 
God is dead type philosophy. Sure. So like all philosophy majors. Yeah. <laughs> they come home from college <laughs> yeah. and then hang around for 10 years and yell philosophy at their moms. Call um, me Holga. <laughs> I said, did you get the Hot Pockets that I like? Quiet down. Mom. I'm playing Call of Duty. <laughs> Holga 420XX. <laughs> so the the story this story then takes a turn when a stranger arrives stranger comes to town classic storytelling he knocks on the door and he is a young man selling bibles and he's got a valise that is chock full of bibles so heavy that it's almost knocking him over and he stays at their house for several hours like he talks his way into the living room uh says that he is just a good country boy who isn't trying to pay his way to college. He's trying to pay his way to go into missionary school and you know spread the word and that they need to have Bible in their parlor because that's where you got to have Bible. And Mrs. Hopewell just can't turn him away. She just can't be rude to him. And Joy Holga despises her for it. But lo and behold... Holga walks him to the gate by herself afterwards, and they have like a conversation. Mm-hmm. And she, we hear about this because she's agreed to meet him the next day. And he leads with this joke, Andrew. This is his. Uh, this is his. It's like sort of a pickup line, but it's just a bad joke. It's a popsicle joke. You ever ate a chicken that was two two days old? And she looks at him, and he and she goes. Yes. <laughs> and he goes, it must have been pretty small. <sighs> Get it? That's a good That's a good joke. That's, a that's good, the kind of joke that we tell on this program all the time. A, it's a good dad joke if I ever heard one. That's an excellent dad joke. This is like a master's class <laughs> in dad jokes you would need to take. So after some kind of soul searching where she's realizing that even if he did want to go somewhere with her and like seduce her or or sleep with her or something she kind of has her own issues about his dumb jokes well not (laughs) yes a his dumb jokes uh b his salt of the earth upbringing and c his uh whatever like pity she might have for him because of how she holds herself in esteem. It just, it seems like this is all wrapped up in the dumb jokes that he's telling. Yeah. That's pretty much like (laughs) what an idiot. Uh, so the next morning, she sneaks away, and they go for a walk in the woods on a picnic, even though she forgot to bring any food, which is mm-hmm. fine by him. And he's wearing a hat that he wasn't wearing the day before, and it's brown like toast with a with a band like a red and white band around it, and it looks too big for him. Like it's just these little details are are really good. It's mm-hmm. brown like toast. Um, brown like toast. And so they are walking around in the woods and kind of out of nowhere, he kisses her and she's never been kissed before. And like in that movie, never been kissed. Yes, um, definitely. And she realizes that she thinks it's dumb. Like she doesn't, she doesn't immediately go, oh, kissing. I never got to be kissed. I want to be kissed all the time. She has this an intellectual detachment from it. And the the thing that she says about it is, uh, people only like it because they're told to. People might enjoy drain water if they were told it was vodka. Here's okay. So let's let's get out in the weeds a little bit. Objectively, why is kissing fun? I was gonna ask you the same thing. I why is it, it like 
if you're going to be smooching on somebody, why do you like smooching on them? Why do you, what? Well, it's, it's just, it's a really good way to be close to somebody. Yeah? I it's, mean, there are other ways to do that. Yeah, I suppose. But there's something about, there's something, you can't do anything else while you're kissing someone. I mean, there's one thing you could do, I suppose. Your taxes. <laughs> but like if is if that you, what you meant? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Like, there's something about the uh, you are all I'm about right now in smooching. Yeah, because like socially, you'd usually close your eyes too, and that makes it so that there's usually less... Andrew. Usually, and usually. when you don't, it's super weird. So I can totally see why people generally do. <laughs> It's unnerving. Um, yeah, it is. It's ooh, ooh, ooh. there. There's. It's a like. There's all sorts of nerve endings that fire off that are rewarding you for like letting someone get that far into your space. Yeah, like there's there's that, and there's. I mean, most of the stuff I'm I'm thinking of is maybe social. So, like, it's not like you don't just kiss anybody. So it gets it gets to what you're saying about like displaying closeness in a yes. way that's like acceptable. Yes. It is not. My mandibles are for you. They're not for anyone else. But like a good smooch is pretty good. It feels Just, good. Like independently of that, yeah. And I don't. I don't really understand why. I think mouths it, are mouths are dirty. Mouths yeah, are gross. I think it has something to do with just that's where a lot of our nerves are, and so there's like a just sensory wise, it feels really good because we're there's plenty of stuff to experience it with. But I think also there's like a back when we were monkeys and if you were like you could have just bit me and you didn't bite me you smooched me like (laughs) like that you're taking this all the way back to like evolutionary times yeah evolutionary times yeah you know that time when we were all evolving to and from stuff all the time (laughs) is that like medieval times yeah it's like the renaissance i like going to, to evolutionary times and cheering for the blue monkey while I eat my leg of turkey into a man and drink some mead as you are watching him. So she gets smooched, but she isn't convinced that it's a cool thing. Maybe he's just bad at smooching. He might be bad at smooching. That's the other thing is you don't know what good smooching is like until you've smooched a, a few people. <laughs> this goes see they should have a smooching class too, in addition to sex class. To just give people some context. Yeah, the Jeez. next story in this book is called "Good Smooching People." Just so you know, a good smooch is hard to a find. Good... Wait, are you being serious? Though? No, I'm not. Okay, thanks though. Uh, <laughs> so they find a barn because he's like, "Hey, is there a place where we can sit down for a little while?" And I they need f- to talk through this whole smooch. Yeah, with you. and he's still carrying his bag that had all the Bibles in it, but he's like, "It doesn't seem so heavy as it did the day before." And uh, is it because he sold Bibles or because he's like getting stronger? Don't worry about it just yet. So they go into the barn and they see the loft and he's like, oh, man, it'd be great to get up there. But and she goes, what? I'm going to climb this ladder. So even with her artificial leg, she climbs up the ladder and they're in the loft and he brings his bag up with him. And she goes, I don't think you need those Bibles up here. And he goes, you never know when you're going to need a Bible. And they lie down together in the loft, and he starts going to Smooch Town. And while he's doing it, he, like, slips her glasses off so she can't, like, see really good. Oh, and it turns out that she was beautiful the whole time. No, it's not that situation. It's not as she's all that? It's not as she's all that. Though she does start getting into the smooching a little bit, and despite herself. 
So then he's all like, hey, you need to tell me you love me. Like, you need to, this is what we're doing. You need to tell me. And she starts saying stuff that's a little more like, I don't know if I believe in that. We are all damned, but some of us have taken off our blindfolds and seen that there's nothing to save or there's nothing to see. It's a kind of salvation. Like, she gets all heady. God is dead on him. She eventually says that she loves him in a way that he takes for a yes, I suppose. Okay. And then he's like, well, here's how you can prove it to me. Take off your leg. Let me see how it works. What? So then... Is this just a long con to see how fake legs work? So get ready for it. She takes her, her leg off and shows him, and then she lets him do it once, and then she lets him take it back off, and he wants to start smooching again. And she's like, can you give me your leg, my leg back? And he goes, well, hold on. Hold on a second. And he opens up his suitcase, and he's got a flask of whiskey and some pornographic playing cards and a box that says, use only for disease prevention. Mm-hmm. It's condoms. And uh, so he drinks some whiskey and tries to give her some, and she doesn't want to. And then he tries to have like actual sex with her, and she doesn't want to. And he says, fine. And takes her leg and puts it in his bag and beats feet and gets out of there. Yoink. He beats three feet because he has an extra foot. And she says to him, aren't you just good country people? And like not believing and like she accuses him of being one of those Christians who does one thing and says another. And he goes, you aren't so special for, you know, believing in nothing. I didn't. I believe in nothing, and I didn't need to go to school for that. And then he leaves. Every, I mean, everybody's terrible. There's no such thing as like good country people. No, there isn't. I don't. I don't know that that's the lesson of this book. I just that's something I know to be objectively <laughs> true. Is that everybody has the capacity to be really great and really terrible? Well, and this story in particular is thrusting two characters at you poor choice of words um yeah no that's not great is uh is like here's someone who is quote like capital l learned here's someone who is salt of the earth and they both believe in absolute nothingness but the one who's book learned can't see it like for what it is um and so there's the whole like symbolism of her glasses being taken and a part of her being stolen he tells her that he's he collects all sorts of parts of people and like has some lady's glass eye. Like he's he's evil. He's an evil mm-hmm. man. Um yeah, that's so that's how that story ends. Like that's the lesson she gets taught. <sighs> what am I supposed to take away from that? I, I think it's there's no good country people, and to pretend otherwise is to lie to yourself and to pin it to uh this particular type of Christian morality, because I think what I don't know enough about O'Connor's Catholic morality is why she was so down on Southern Protestants. That I was, I read just enough to know that like that was a shred of what she was up to, but I don't know all the implications of that. Okay, um, sure. I the word divine grace came up a lot, which is why I used it earlier uh, in how she talks about these characters, like not quite their full-on conversions or discoveries or anything, but just the moment where they come close to that kind of world-changing revelation. Yeah. Um, and it's all it's always encapsulated in an encounter with one very distinct person. Um, 
So, I mean, are those distinct people the like grotesque characters that she's often said to write? Like, is that where that comes in or, or when you when you read these stories? And I, I don't know at what point in this process you do your research, but did you did you read that she's known for her grotesque characters and think back? Oh, OK, there are a bunch of grotesque people. Or was that like a thing that you was that a thing you noticed by yourself? I noticed it kind of as I was reading it, just as the way the all, the handful of character descriptions I've given on air, I think, should suffice as a, like, if she's telling you something, like, who someone is, she's telling you how they're left of center or, like, off the beaten path. Yeah, like, very specifically definitely sounds off the beaten path. Yeah, and, and the way that Miss... Everyone is so well-realized and specific in their mannerisms and in how they talk, like... And some, their cabbage faces, like, she does... She It sounds like she's really good at picking, like, a particular word that where... It, it's that, that thing that really good writers can do where they pick a word that is, like, I would absolutely never have picked that word, but it's also the perfect word to have picked. Yes, yes, It's a thing yes, I'm really yes. jealous of in... in work that i admire and and it's very it's much easier to do i think in some of this character work in short stories than it is in a novel because you're not trying to fully flesh every character out there they serve a different function right like you don't need to fully develop the kids in a good man is hard to find Mm-hmm. I just need to understand. You need to, you need to convey that they're annoying little buttheads, and yeah. then that that's good enough. Yeah, and then that can have all sorts of other ramifications, right? Um, I don't need to know much more about Mrs. Freeman's glycerin and caramel kids. Uh, <laughs> there is sort of a subplot where they are both, one of them is pregnant, and one of them is seeing a quote-unquote chiropractor who I think is just having sex with her in a car. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're gonna get married like the old proper way. That's how chiropractic used to work, you know. Yeah, that's it was the whole thing was just a long like pickup artist con. It's all and about alignment. It, it eventually evolved into a semi-legitimate medical practice. This it's still debatable. Yeah. Um. What's up to all our chiropractor fans? Yeah, hey chiropractors, who have we offended? Okay, I think I've made fun of people from Iowa, people from Tennessee, and chiropractors. So now, far. if you are a chiropractor who a chiropractor who was born in Iowa and now lives in Tennessee, <laughs> like, bye, gone. see you later, bye, see ya. <laughs> um, I don't know. I lost. I lost my train of thought. These stories are pretty good. Uh, I won't go the whole rundown on late encounter with the enemy because we're running out of time yeah but the character names are great um just give me some good ones okay sally poker sash okay is the main character that's really good she is 62 and she's attending she's been attending summer school for her teaching degree for 20 years And her dad, General Tennessee Flintrock sash of the confederate army whoa is 104 that is the confederatist name that I have ever heard. Yep. Uh, and his name is actually George Poker Sash, and he was only a major, but he has forgotten history to a certain extent. Like that's the that's the whole vibe of that story. Basically, she brings him up to see his, to see her graduation, and he gets left out in the sun for too long, and starts feeling like he has a hole in his head, and is clearly just dying, and. He like hallucinates that all the people in their graduation robes are like demons at the River Styx, and then he dies on stage, but no one notices. And then he gets wheeled away by 
uh, his grandnephew who just wanted a Coca-Cola. Jeez. All right. Uh, yeah. That's another another laugh a minute tale from Flannery O'Connor. Yep. It's that one's actually pretty good. There's a bunch of great like uh old grandpa like I kissed all the pretty girls jokes. Like it's he's really inappropriate. Like, yeah, it's like you mix like three parts of that with one part weekend at Bernie's and you have yourself a really good short story. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Get some get some good names, some good funny names, uh one or two goofy things that people say, and then like a horrible Tarantino ending, and you've got Flannery O'Connor stories. Yeah. There you go. Bam. Um, Nailed it. So yeah, I think they're great. I I encourage you to go get any of her collections. I hope that I didn't like you know, by reading all of those first two stories kind of turn you off because there's a whole bunch in these collections that I'm yeah, I mean, looking it, forward it, to going and reading. So It sounds like a bummer, but like a fun bummer. Yeah, they're they're just really, I don't know, I, I read a uh, handful of Faulkner short stories in high school. So like I have a schema for this type of fiction, even though I didn't know that I did because I've heard O'Connor's name a lot, but never really found out what she was about. Yeah, um, same. So there's that kind of like, here's the setup, here's a memorable character, and here's an ending you won't forget. Like, it's, <laughs> uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty effective. Um, so yeah, that's that. I, again, smarter people than me know a bit more about um, the religious angle on this stuff, but, and it's certainly there. I don't mean to downplay it, uh, mostly out of ignorance, as we said at the top of the show. Just, that's why we downplay anything. Um, but yeah, much. if you uh, if you happen to know more about that stuff, or if you have a favorite Flannery O'Connor story that we did not mention on air, you should email it to us at overduepod at gmail.com. You can tweet us pictures of your southern estate uh, at twitter.com slash overduepod. <laughs> Or like pictures of all the peacocks you raised. You can post those on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash overdue pod. But don't you dare get them mixed up. <laughs> yeah, I don't. <laughs> don't want to see any peacocks on Twitter. Or else the misfits coming for you. Twitter's not for peacocks. Nope. Tweet, tweet. Not peacock, peacock. What? I don't know what noises peacocks make. If you if you know what noises peacocks make. I get, can they email us? Have we talked about our email address? Yet? Yeah, but I didn't thank all the people who'd uh, reached out this week. That includes... you should do that. I didnn't that like that was a dead end that I yeah. just wandered down. That was so. Cat Payne and Sarah listens and Sadia and Freya and two different Alyssas: Jeremy, Tysphine, Coglin, Mel- uh, yes, Melissa, Sophie, Michael, and we got two iTunes reviews, which Andrew will talk about a little bit later from Ella and Soup Chicago. Thanks, Soup Chicago. Um, if you want to find out more about the show, you can go to OverduePodcast.com. Up there, we have links to RSS and iTunes and Stitcher. Those are all great places where you can go and subscribe to the show, get new episodes when we release them every Monday. Um, if you subscribe on iTunes, like Craig said, do rate and review us because that that brings us up in the rankings and it just makes us feel good. We are approaching 200 ratings, which are just like the star ratings with no like other effort given on your part. And we're approaching 100 reviews, which is where you actually write a blurb and tell us what you think about the show. Um, I would like to see us hit those numbers because I like big round numbers. They're pretty exciting numbers. I like round numbers, even, even though like the, it's all I mean, it's all arbitrary in the end. But we're, we're getting close. So let's yeah, let's do that by the end of 2015. I know I know you guys can do it. You can get us up there. 
Um, we also have on our website links to uh, the Amazon pages for the books that we have read and the books that we are going to read. You can click those and buy the books and support us. Um, we have a link to our Patreon project, which is a place where you can go and support the show in a continuing way. We've gotten quite a few new Patreon donors in the last week or so, so thank you very much. I want to give a quick update about our uh, merch store because we haven't talked about that in a while. So so the story is a couple months ago, we had a uh, stretch goal where when we hit $250 a month on Patreon, we were going to fire up a merchandise store and get that going. Um, we dropped back below $250, which is one factor that's kind of delayed things. And we also have just like Craig and I have been super busy at our day jobs in like all of September and October and part ridiculous. of November. So like things are gradually, I think, slowing back down for us. And we are definitely still planning things in like a low key It'll way. Happen. Like we've, It'll we've still talked, happen. Yeah, we've already we've like got one really great illustration that we commissioned from one of our listeners that I think you guys are going to like as much as I like it. Um, And that wouldn't have been possible without the Patreon support. So, yeah, yeah. Patreon, it pays for that. It pays for equipment upgrades. It just it pays for the books that we read. It, it, It does so much to make the show possible. So. Yeah, just, just thank you guys for that. It's it's we do not mean to neglect anybody who like who donates and wants to suggest a book or who is, is waiting for us to open the merch store. Like we, we definitely want to do right by you guys because you guys are supporting us in like the best way that anybody can support anything that they like. Um, so yeah, that's just, that is a brief update on that situation. Other um, ways that you can support the show include doing all of the things we already mentioned, which helps kind of spread the word on social media. It's like, it's totally cool if you can't Patreon us, but spreading the word also rocks. You could also head on over to headgum.com, which is the podcast network that supports us, and you can support the great work over there, um, as well as check out Spreaker, which uh, is a audio hosting and podcasting platform that hosts all of our stuff, so we, we really appreciate their support. Andrew, yeah. I think next week I'm going again with Catch Twenty Two. Is that correct? Yes, I believe that is right. Because this was this was a stopgap while you made time to read Catch Twenty Two over the Thanksgiving weekend. That is correct. What are and, you um, reading after that? Do we know? It's okay if I, you don't. I don't know what I'm going to be reading for my main episode uh-huh. after Catch Twenty Two, but I know for our bonus episode this month. Um, I'm going to be reading Things Fall Apart. Ah, Chinua so Chebe. Yes. Yeah. So we can look, you guys can look forward to that. Um, we're going to, we, I hope to post it like in actual November, though, man, we're running out of days already. So. Oh, boy. <laughs> you guys will hear more about that if you follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Um, I think that's everything. So thank you guys so much for your support, whether that's just listening to us or tweeting at us or actually giving us money. Like it's all amazing. We're, we'll probably talk about it a little bit more as 2015 like draws to a close, but this has been just such an amazing year for the show, and it really would not be possible without you guys. So, yeah, I am, I am, I have no words for how great it's been. Do you so, have words? Sounds like you've got a couple of words. So just like, not that many. You know what words I have? What? Then who was foe? <laughs> okay. Everybody, we'll see you next Monday. Until then, try to be happy.
That was a HeadGum Podcast.